Hey guys, Michael Miller, Uproom Dallas. Thank you so much, podcast family, for tuning in faithfully week in and week out. We pray for you and are so honored that you listen to these messages and are edified by them. In return, we are asking our online family and podcast family to consider sewing into our building project. We are in the process of building a project here in downtown Dallas. It is, um, I think it's about an $18 million project. The costs seem to go up with inflation and supply chain issues, but that's the target right now. And we hope to raise around $8 million by October 1st. So if you've been blessed by our ministry, our church, would you consider sowing a financial gift into the Advanced Building Fund Project? Uh, We are having a give day on August 20th. You can obviously give before then, but please pray for this. And if the Lord leads you, would you sow cheerfully to this beautiful project uh, in our city. We are so, again, grateful for our online family and their continued support. Uh, This week, our sermon is on the testimony of forgiveness. This will be my last sermon in the four-part series on forgiveness. We look at three powerful testimonies of forgiveness. Um, One is biblical. It is it's they're all, they're all biblical, but one is in the Bible, and it's uh, the story of Joseph and how he forgave his brothers again, um, reiterating to them that uh, he has blessed them and has forgiven them and submitted them to the Lord. It's a really powerful account at the end of Genesis. And then we look at two uh, real-life testimonies in our day and age. One is Brant Jean, who forgave Amber Geyer, who was the murderer of uh, his brother. And it happened on national news. Uh, it rocked everyone. Uh, we look at that testimony. That's where we start. And then we end with Mufa Besik. Mufa's a pastor at Upper Room, been here for seven years. Him and his wife, Veronica, are from uh, the former Yugoslavia. He's Bosnian. She's Croatian. And just the uh, ethnic cleansing that took place in the 90s through a civil war between the Serbs and Bosnians, uh, which Mufa grew up in. Um, He embodies this message so powerfully. So I think you'll be extremely blessed. Thanks for tuning in. We love you. Hey, let me pray for us, and um, we're going to hop into uh, our last um, Sunday on forgiveness. So let me pray for us. If you put your hand on your heart, uh, Lord, we want to submit to your word this morning. I believe your word is uh, active and alive, and it has the ability, Lord, to divide us, to divide soul and spirit, to um, dissect our thoughts, and uh, to realign us according to um, your ways, Jesus. And so we are in need of you. We are in need of your leadership. We're in need of your lordship. And we want to submit our minds. We want to submit our souls to the shepherd who oversees and restores our souls. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that is carrying unforgiveness or bitterness, Lord, that today would be the day that they can surrender it to you. Today will be the day, Lord, where where they entrust that person, that circumstance and situation to you, and that they could taste the freedom, Lord, the freedom from your lordship over that pain and that wrong. And so I give you praise for the testimonies, Lord, that have come forth through this series, and I pray that they only increase uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. <clears throat> so this morning, uh, before I begin, I want to give you two resources. Um, this will be the last Sunday we do uh, forgiveness. The most thorough um, 
work on forgiveness that I've read is by Timothy Keller. Um, Tim, uh, Timothy Keller just passed a couple of weeks ago, but this was his uh, last work. It was in 2022. He wrote it, and it is very comprehensive uh, on more of a theological perspective on forgiveness, but the most practical one that I've read is The Art of Forgiving by Lewis Smead. So these are just two resources for you, Keller and Smead's Forgiveness, if you put that in. Uh, forgiveness is a continue, it's a, it's a journey for anyone that uh, is walking out forgiveness on some level. Uh, it's not just I'm learning a revelation that we get uh, through a one-time series or even a one-time exchange. It's something that we have to walk out. And uh, if I had to uh, title, well, I do have to title this weekend sermon. I'm going to title it uh, The Testimony of Forgiveness because I think uh, forgiveness is uh, a witness to those around us when they see us walk forgiveness out. And no uh, greater testimony of forgiveness that, that I've seen in the last couple of years actually took place in the city of Dallas. And it was uh, a young man by the name of Brant Jean. And Brant Jean was uh, Botham Jean's younger uh, brother. Um, you may remember the story of Botham Jean in October, or it was September of 2000, I believe 18. Um, he was in his apartment alone uh, watching television and Amber Geyer, who had just gotten off her second shift with the Dallas Police Department, thought she was walking into her apartment, but was actually walking into Botham's. Uh, a struggle ensued and Amber shot uh, Botham Jean um, and he died. And it took a national uh, spotlight, just the, uh, the trial, the, uh, the pain, everything, just it was, it was at the forefront of news and media. And a year later, um, she was found guilty and uh, sentenced to 10 years in prison. And during the family's testimonials, her brother, Brant, um, got in the stand. And I'm going to play the video of what he did. But, but throughout that year, I was reading an interview this week about uh, Brant Jean. And um, after his brother's death, uh, he became extremely angry. And his mother said this, that... A month after he had gone from punching walls to not saying much about his feelings, uh, the mother was scared. She didn't know what he was thinking or what he was capable of doing. And Brant recalled pretty much this entire year, uh, I pretty much hated Amber. I used to talk with my friends about wanting to kill her and stuff. But he said this, all that changed when I heard her apologize. And, uh, and during the testimonials of the family, this is what took place. And you may remember this. If you haven't seen it, it's extremely powerful. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but 
I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Isn't that powerful? It's just uh, the, the, the different interviews that um, Brandt went through, he talked about uh, the supernatural power of forgiveness, that uh, that is not something he could do within himself. And um, forgiveness is supernatural. It's not, it's not an act of our own will. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, be sure that you don't fall short of the grace of God, that there's something about the grace that we've received from God that we can extend to others. And us willingly choosing to extend that forgiveness is an act of faith, it's an act of trust, and it empowers us then uh, to not only extend that forgiveness to someone else, but that grace heals us. Uh, forgiveness is about um, healing the forgiver, not just the one that needs to be forgiven. And um, it is so central to the Christian faith. It is uh, this study, my wife and I were talking yesterday about the conviction that we've had, just how central it is um, to all that we are. Uh, I think sometimes we think of forgiveness as like, well, well God's gonna forgive me because it's, he has to, he's God. I've heard it my whole life. He's a forgiver. He has to forgive me. Um, but and at the core of God, uh, being a God of love, um, it, it, it is how he approaches us, but it forces us to face how we approach others. It forces us to face what we've received from him and how we ex- extend that to those around us. And as a pastor, um, I, I think one of the number one things that 
that is the Achilles heel for hearts in this room is bitterness and unforgiveness from pains of the past. And our ability to rightfully, not religiously, but rightfully and thoroughly acknowledge the pain and establish the blame for that pain puts us on a journey to truly forgiving someone. And I laid out the steps behind me. Um, We've looked at them the last couple of weeks is that we do um, acknowledge the pain and the blame. We identify with the humanity of that person. I love uh, Brant Jean's testimony when he says it was not until I saw her and heard her. He identified with her humanity that he could actually extend forgiveness to her. And then we refuse to take revenge, which means we let the person off the hook. Uh, We don't demand punishment. And then we endure inflicted pain and uh, ultimately we bless the offender. And so um, I'm gonna bring up one other person here in just a second. It's someone on our staff, someone that all of you know who has an incredible testimony of forgiveness. But before I do, uh, there was one other story I wanted to look at in the scriptures um, and it's the life of Joseph again. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Joseph forgave his brothers, but this topic would come up again Um, in Joseph's life. It it would actually be the last story about Joseph. And it's in Genesis chapter 50, if you have your Bibles. We love our Bibles, amen? Amen. Say, I love my Bible. I do too, Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. This is, again, the last chapter in Genesis. And there's two points I wanna draw out about the testimony of forgiveness. The testimony of forgiveness. So to set this story up, Um, In verse 14, Jacob, who was Joseph's father and the 12 brothers' father, um, had died. And he died in Egypt um, once uh, the families had come to Egypt uh, for for deliverance from the famine. They were given land in Goshen. And Jacob asked Joseph to bury him in Canaan. And so Joseph asked Pharaoh, can I go and bury my dad with my brothers in Canaan? And they did. It was about a 150-mile journey. So it probably would have been five to six days that they journeyed. Uh, They buried their dad and they come back. So I'm thinking two weeks or so uh, on the road with his brothers. But when they get back to Egypt, this conversation ensues. And and again, I want to talk about the testimony of forgiveness. Um, But look at how the brothers started reasoning after the father's death, reasoning um, about Joseph and their relationship to Joseph in verse 14. After he had buried his father, uh, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us? What if What if he holds to his anger towards us? Now, this is their reasoning. Now that the father's dead, he's gonna pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him. Now, Joseph has already forgiven them. If you look in Genesis chapter 45, he said, don't be angry with yourself. Don't beat yourself up. I forgive you. This was God's plan for my life. It's already been acknowledged, but they did not believe Joseph. They did not receive the forgiveness that he extended to them. And so here they're second guessing Joseph and if, if he was truly forgiving them. And so here's the plan that they come up with uh, in verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, 
Those you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and all their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servant of the God of your father. And so when they sent these instructions to Joseph, pleading on behalf of the father, (laughs) Joseph breaks down and he weeps. And listen to this response. This is so insightful to how Joseph got to the place of forgiveness. Joseph's response in verse 19, uh, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in God's place? For am I in God's place? Here's point number one. Joseph refused to sit in God's seat. For am I in God's place? Joseph had entrusted his brothers to God. Joseph had surrendered the offense and the pain of his brothers to God. He let God be God. And here's what pain and wrong, oftentimes uh, we naturally respond to it by, by controlling the outcome. We sit in God's seat and we actually think we can handle Uh, the pain, we can respond to the pain better than he can. We can respond to the evil better than we can. And yet truth be known, no one in this room is able to respond to sin and evil and not end up in sin and evil. (laughs) God is the only one that can respond to sin and evil and bring forth goodness and righteousness from it. And the thing is, is when we attempt to sit in God's chair, we end up the opposite of God. It's what happened, happened to Satan and it's what happened to Eve at the beginning. Satan said, if you eat this, he knows you'll be like him. And that's the temptation that we attempt to take justice into our own hands and things only get worse because the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Are you following me? And so w- 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 Joseph refused to sit uh, in the seat that he knew only God could occupy. And this reminds me of... Um, It reminds me of Romans chapter 12. Uh, Listen to Romans chapter 12. This is Paul exhorting uh, the church in Rome who was persecuted, who was persecuted. Many of them were being martyred. Some of them were being put in prison. And so there was deep pain within the Roman church. And listen to what he says in verse 19. He says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In essence, God is saying, um, vengeance is mine, meaning it's, it's, it's under my authority to bring justice to make things right. I will right every wrong. That's a promise from the Lord. Whether he does it next week, next month, next year, or when he returns, the blessed hope for us when we entrust it to the Lord is he will make every wrong right. Are you following me? And so it's an act of trust and it's an act of surrender and we actually discover God's grace when we do that. John Stott says it this way um, about this this entrusting God to be God and not taking God's place. Uh, John Stott and the cross of Christ, this is what he said. The the concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. 
For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. This is the point. Um, God, God met you in your pain. God met you in your pain. God can identify with any wrong in this room. He's tasted it. He's experienced it, but he paid the price for it. And he then puts you in himself. He relates to you. Then he puts you in himself. You're seated in him. And you, you can get a different perspective from, seat, from learning where you're uh, seated this morning. And this is the second point. Uh, in verse 20, after Joseph says this, he says, uh, do not be afraid for am I in God's place? Look at verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. And so the second point is uh, we, we don't wanna sit in God's seat, but Joseph had God's view. Joseph had God's perspective. Um, if you're lost in a valley, and uh, many of us do get lost in the valley of a wrong or a pain, um, the only way to get fresh sight in the depths of the valley is to go to the high ground. If you go to the high ground, you can actually see where you were in the valley and you can get direction from there. And this is what Joseph, I believe, did in the valley of his pain. At some point, God took him to a higher perspective. And he said, hey, this evil that was against you, I'm actually going to bring forth my goodness. It's, it's the place of Mara. It's where he takes the bitter waters and he makes them what? He makes them sweet. He has the ability to make any hand you're dealt a winning hand. Let me say it again. He has the ability to make any hand you're dealt, any hand that you're sitting with, he has the ability to make it a winning hand. He brings forth his goodness. He, he doesn't cause all things, but he causes all things to work together for his good. He doesn't cause all things, but he causes all things to work together for his good. And you entrusting that wrong, he can bring forth something Right. And so, okay, for the sake of time, I want to bring up Mufa. Where's Mufa? Mufa, my man. Come on. So, <clears throat> uh, Mufa's been on staff here seven years. Him and his wife, Veronica, um, moved here uh, from Croatia, uh, is where they were living when I first met them. But Mufa grew up in Bosnia. And um, many may not know, uh, that in the early 90s, um, there was a civil war that took place in Bosnia, uh, former Yugoslavia, that uh, was probably, uh, many say it was uh, the, the most significant conflict in Europe since World War II. Uh, over 100,000 people uh, were killed. Um, one of the, the marks of the, the tragedy, as I read this week, is the number of uh, uh, Bosnian women that were actually abused and raped by the Serbs that invaded um, your people. But uh, it, was a, it was a moment of ethnic cleansing, really. Uh, the yes. Serbs invaded Bosnia, and you're yes. Bosnian. Yes. And so in 1992, you were six years old. I was six years. Six and, years old. And the war broke out. That's correct. And what do you remember about that? 
so my first memory is uh, um, in the middle of the night, uh, we're running somewhere. Actually, I'm not running. My dad is running. And he's carrying you. And he's carrying me. And as he's running, basically, I wake up and I'm looking at his face from this perspective. And um, we're going somewhere. I'm like, what is happening? And we actually left our home because we had to leave and find a safe place. We had to actually leave our house and go to another place because the war broke out. Where did you guys live at that time? So we lived basically in the suburbs of uh, Sarajevo, the capital city, which was basically probably like around like 20, less than 20 miles from the capital city of Sarajevo, of Bosnia. And, and so you guys are on the run. Where do you end up? So the next scene I remember, uh, we come into this uh, like a huge, like a hangar, like open room, factory, something. And I see like hundreds of people just laying down and the uh, kids, uh, moms, fathers, just families. And we are basically like, I remember my thought was like, first, like, where am I? What's happening? I look at my mom and dad, I was like, where are we? And I, I just remember they're saying like, everything's going to be fine. Hmm. Hmm. So your dad ended up uh, during the day, during that time you guys were displaced mm -hmm. from your home. And then your dad would fight on the front lines during the day and then come home at night. Sometimes for days, we would not see him. Sometimes even longer. He would have to basically, like, the men were enlisted and they had to go and fight. Uh, so my dad didn't have a choice but to go and fight. Either, either go on the front line or go to, go to jail. And so that was his choice. And even he would basically say, like, I, I'm going to protect my family. I don't want to go to the front line. Just give me a gun and I will protect my family. And, uh, but that was not the choice. Like that, that was not the option. So he had to go on the front line. So there was a hatred between the Serbs mm -hmm. and then the Bosnians. Can you talk about that just a little bit? So yeah, the, 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 this, this war actually in the Balkans, uh, the Balkan region is southeastern Europe, uh, close to uh, across Italy, uh, down below us is Greece. You probably heard about Greece, but Croatia, Bosnia, <laughs> Macedonia, um, uh, Serbia, and all those countries, like beautiful, beautiful. It's a beautiful place that has been occupied from many invaders for, for a long, long time. So when the war broke out in Bosnia specifically, we had like the mixture of people, which was Bosnians, which is, um, uh, if I can say that, that uh, historically there was an influence of, uh, of uh, Islam there, and then we have Orthodox Serb people and also Croatian people living there. So it was like a mix. It's like a melting pot, like Jerusalem, mm. almost like Jerusalem. Mm. And so we all lived together. And um, in the 80s, it basically from like after Second World War up to uh, end of 80s, we lived in communism. So we did not have any grid of what like God and religion. Wow. So I was eight years old when I first time heard the phrase or the word God. Wow. That's wild. First time. It's, it's crazy. No VBS, no felt boards. No, nothing. <laughs> Zero. So, okay, this was interesting because, I mean, I'm a, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I may have heard of the war, but, you know, mm -hmm. this, this is such a, uh, 
that culture is so foreign and so digesting it. Mm -hmm. um, the Serbs invaded uh, Bosnia, yes. but mm -hmm. uh, as as the two um, as the two were at war and this conflict ensued, everyone was responding because your family actually was traveling with as Bosnians. Y'all were traveling with some Serbs, like your mom's best friend, I believe. Yes. Yes, because it was a mixture of people living together. And then um, suddenly, basically, the war happened like neighbor against neighbor. Like people that broke bread together and ate and celebrated birthdays and things together, <clears throat> living life together because of the ideology or whatever. They're now fighting each other. Now they're fighting each other. Hmm. Like it was overnight, basically. And your mom's best friend in this time who yes. traveled with a husband... Yes. So the husband uh, of my best um, uh, mom's friend, he was, of course, he was Serb. So because he was caught in the area of the central part of Bosnia, he was basically sent out to the concentration camp. And so my dad is on the front line. Uh, and uh, this family, actually, they have, have a, had a boy that was, his name was Dragan. And uh, um, he was my friend. Mm. And we basically, while our, our uh, fathers, one, one, of the, one of them, they were in concentration camp. My father was on the front line. And our moms are figuring out how can we put the food at the table. Wow. How can we survive? And this was between ages 6 to 10, you were on the run. 6 you to 10. You were displaced. Yeah, we actually kind of like uh, found, uh, found a safe haven, if I can say like that. Uh, and we, we came to the place where it was more safe. We, we stationed ourselves there, a little bit outside of the, of the, uh, of the capital of, uh, of Bosnia, of Sarajevo. And so this place was a little bit safer. So we were able to stay there mm. and not be on the run all the time. So how would you, uh, just talking through, because I, I want to get personally yeah. to how this affected you on a heart level because you didn't know the Lord during this time. You didn't, you didn't meet the Lord until you were 16. 16. And then, 16. And then it, it's a really cool story about you and Veronica and, yes. Veronica. and how you guys, I know, beautiful Veronica. But, but from, a, from a macro standpoint, seeing the systemic mm -hmm. uh, generational sin that mm -hmm. led to such a division where there would be an ethnic cleansing of sorts in this civil war um, mm -hmm. you know, when we're talking about forgiveness and reconciliation, how does this land with you in light of what you experienced, um, from a cultural standpoint? Cause I, I see America, I mean, not that America's there, but I see a level of division and hatred. Um, and, and I just wanted to get you to, to, to share your thoughts about yeah. what you saw and what you're seeing today. So that's exactly what happened. The et ethnic cleansing you know, uh, that was formed on the ideology. And uh, because now basically there's a, let's put it like in the forms of tribe, saying you're different and because you're different and you did something to us maybe like hundreds of years ago, uh, we're gonna take a revenge and we're, we're gonna clean out your nation. We're just, we don't want you here. And so uh, I, would, I would connect this emotion to, uh, um, uh, the pain of uh, rejection and not being wanted. You know, I, I feel like like there's there's a lot of us that we uh, we 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 go through life, um, 
that that we feel rejected, not wanted, mm-hmm. um, and there's there's this emotion of uh, bitterness that starts growing as a seed in your heart. And so for me, I feel like that was that was um, what I saw. Basically, I saw um, families that died. Like I saw children and mother at the same time. Like some of my memories, like seeing the the, the graphics and the images of people dead, being on the floor and dead. And the life becomes, you know, like today you live, tomorrow you don't know. Mm-hmm. And we as kids, I remember we wanted, we, we wanted to play. And so we would go out and play and suddenly you hear, and oh, we gotta go. And there's shelling, there's grenades, there's things. And you know, you, you grow up in a, uh, circumstances like that, you know, where no water, I didn't mention this, no water, no food, no electricity for days and days. I remember actually one of occasion, uh, my brother, older brother, 10 years older, he made a pudding for us. A pudding? Pudding, without milk. He didn't have milk, he had just the pudding. One of those that you can make, you know, like and you stir it up in a pan. And uh, he made a pudding for us because somehow he got it. And I, I remember the emotion of, of being so, so happy. And it, I don't know if, how it tasted. I didn't know what it needs to taste. But to me, it was the best thing I, I ever tried. <laughs> I promise you. And uh, um, just, just the fact that basically sometimes we take uh, for granted the things that we have you know, with Jesus and with the Lord, the freedom that he can offer to us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes us, you know, like choosing, you know, like we're going to talk about forgiveness, but you know, like choosing not to forgive because we want to be right. It's like when you go through things like this, you're like, this is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. You're like, it's obviously that we're deceived. But, um, um, how, how did you, I've, I've known you for seven years and this has been, this has been so helpful for me in getting to know you uh, in a deeper way, but I, I would have never have thought you went through what you went through because your heart's so tender, Mufa. You love people so well. You, uh, I, I found this out about Mufa. Mufa, after the war, his dad became a farmer and Mufa, as a teenager, was a shepherd. He had 60 sheep. 60 plus sheep. 60 plus sheep. <laughs> Did they know your voice? They, I'm telling you, when I read Psalm 23, I'm not, I, I'm not from Dallas. You see what I'm saying? I know that the sheep knows the voice. Well, I told him last night, I said, I, said, I feel like God plucked him from the Bosnian sheep fields and planted him in Dallas to be a spiritual shepherd here because he just embodies the heart of a shepherd among us. I encounter so many people and they're like, you know, Mufa was praying for me. Mufa was counseling me. And uh, I, I guess to, to get from where you were when we started yes. today to where you're at now, God has done something supernatural in your heart. 100%. And I... I think there's few in this room that have probably faced what you've faced and seen what you've seen. And so I think we have a lot to learn and receive from you mm. in regards to forgiveness. This is why I wanted to push play on your heart. So how would you, 
how would you help us in walking out what you've walked out when it comes to forgiveness? Um, I think I want to, I'm going to start with, uh, I just want to read a couple of things that I, uh, when I was in, at the college uh, I studied, um, I actually wrote my last paper on forgiveness because the Lord was, was pressing on my heart and he, he said, you have to let this go. And I didn't know what that means because f forgiveness is to go through the process. Forgiveness, first of all, is a process. You said that. Um, and there's pain. And we don't know how to deal with pain if we don't ask the Lord. And if he doesn't actually reach out his hand and he starts doing something in there. We need the Lord. We need the Lord. So I want to read a couple of things that I wrote about forgiveness here. Um, and maybe this is going to be a little bit help helpful for you. Uh, first of all, I said uh, forgiveness, it is a choice, an act of will. So it's, it's a choice, an act of will to forgive. Uh, we have it there. Oh, wow. Look at that, Let's buddy. Look at that. Um, um, offense leads us to bitterness. And bitterness is a devil's cup that leads you unto unforgiveness. Torture of anger, torment. A unforgiving heart is deceived and it's easy to be defiled and taken out of the plains of God. Forgiveness is a divine act. It's, it's something, it's supernatural. It's something that God has shared with us as a gift. Like it's a God's thing, it's a divine act. And he said, I'm gonna share this with you. This is the way how you look like me. So the Father God has shared this with us in order for us to experience, to be free, and to also release others to be free. I say, it's a pure power. To forgive, it's a wow. pure power. When you choose to forgive, you're letting go the, uh, you're letting go the offender to be free and you're letting him go to not owe you nothing. And you're also doing yourself a favor. Suddenly your soul can enter into peace again. And really good, Bob. yeah, so um, as you were saying, like the, for me uh, to be able actually to release all the pain, all the things that I've seen, uh, all the like injustice, it was a process actually and I came to the point where I needed the Lord and asked the Lord, Lord, would you help me to forgive? Mm. And it was the Lord actually that wanted me free because I was in a lot of pain. It was, I was in a lot of pain. Mm. And uh, I, I remember these days when the Lord started actually doing stuff in my heart and saying, let it go, give it to me, give it to me. And this is how it starts because uh, it, it is, and when we carry the bitterness, when we carry uh, the offense, actually this is the invitation for us to come to, f to the feet of Jesus. So offense, when you're offended, this is your chance and this is your invitation to go straight to the feet of Jesus. And this is the only way that we can deal with our offense and our, mm -hmm. our hate, hatred, our pain, it's actually the offense from the Lord. Uh, it's, it's a gift from the Lord. It's a, he is giving you the invitation to go to his feet and say, Lord, would you turn mm. this into something different? Mm. 
And so, like those small steps, those small steps of the choice of saying, I forgive. Simple words, Father, I forgive, but I don't know how this looks like. I release, I let it go, but it is hard. Because we don't have power. We don't have power to forgive. But if we align ourselves under the one who has forgiven. Imagine Jesus on the cross. The culmination of everything. The one that was, that, the one that was pure, spotless. He became the sin. And he, in that place, he says, Father, forgive them. He releases the forgiveness on us. Mm. Um, so, I think, I think that uh, for us, uh, where we are, even, even in America right now, um, we, I think that we have two, two cups. There are two cups before us. The cup of bitterness and offense and the cup of God's forgiveness and to really lean into God's justice. Mm. And you know, that, that's how it started in Bosnia. You know, division. It started as division. It started as an offense. And when you pile it up, when you just go deeper and deeper into that pain, you can stay there for many, many years. And the reason why I'm saying this is because um, after 30 years in Bosnia, in that region, we still have people that are playing the same narrative. Same, they stayed in the same place. And they did not let go of them being right and staying in that place of offense and bitterness and unforgiveness. Wow. And so sometimes it takes, takes uh, a generation to heal. And maybe, maybe this is going to remind you what happened to Israelites in the desert. They stayed there for many, many, many years and mm -hmm. God had to deal with them there and, and raise up a totally new generation to enter into the promised land because they couldn't, they couldn't let go mm. of the past. Mm. I've heard that during this series, I've heard of at least three different accounts of family members that have not talked to one another for over years. And through this series and identifying just steps to move towards forgiveness, they've actually had one-on-one -on -one conversations. Mm. And I believe what's happening is a generational curse is being broken because we end up passing that on to our kids. I have uh, friends from, from high school and colleges and I know the few that existed in the family and the kids end up picking, picking up the offense of the parents. And it really is passed on to generations and it just takes, I think, one to extend forgiveness. And uh, we, need to, we need to know that the testimony of forgiveness is passed on to generations and our kids are watching, they're listening. They hear the way we talk about True. family members and things that we've been through. And uh, I think one of the, the fruits of true forgiveness is we stop talking about it. We really yes. bury it. Um, this is, this is a, a great part of the story here is that, um, so the Croatians end up getting in on the conflict. And at first they were allies with the Bosnians, but then you had told me that- Then they joined. They joined the Serbs. Serbs. Okay. Kind of not, not really joined, but they, they had their, Separate in initiative to take peace of the land in okay. Bosnia. Which brought division between Croatia and Bosnia. Yes, okay. that's correct. But you fell in love with someone. I fell in love with Croatian. <laughs> can you imagine that? Veronica, can you stand up? She's right there. She's... 
Last night when, when Mufa was talking about her, he said she was the forbidden fruit. <laughs> forbidden love. Forbidden love, yeah. Forbidden, forbidden love. love. Not forbidden And fruit. forbidden fruit, whatever, you get it. Um, but it I did it anyways. Forbidden love. Yes. But it's like a Romeo and Juliet. Yes. You know, like a, uh, even though uh, we, 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 we are believers, we were believers, our families became believers, uh, we still, uh, the families actually carried that unforgiveness, you know, and uh, when I came into Veronica's family and she came into mine, my family was a little bit more open, but Veronica's family was very conservative. And um, so basically, uh, here I am again, uh, because I love a woman that is a, a different nationality, and we're facing, I'm facing rejection. Again. And it's, it's so, so strange, but it's, it's so funny that the Lord uh, sometimes allows us to go through that. Like rejection upon rejection upon rejection upon rejection. But there's a moment when we become so, um, like when we come under Him, there's something that He releases if we surrender that mm. and you overcome rejection. Like you, you become just free. Like the rejection doesn't have, like, like there, there's no effect on your heart. And so for me and Veronica, basically. How, how do you get there? Like, what, it sounds awesome, but like, if, if, yeah. if, if, if the, because the conflict was with her stepfather or father. The, yes. and, and so he was rejecting you. So how did you not? take up offense because yeah. you loved her. Yeah. How did you keep loving him? That's a very good question. Thank you. Very good question. <laughs> so, um, he would look at me in the eyes. I remember we we're sitting and I'm, I proposed Veronica. We're, we're going to do this. We're serious. <laughs> we're like, we're doing this. It's going to happen. And he basically, he's trying with everything, with everything, all the, all the tools, to use all the tools to reject me and push me out. And looks at me the face in my eyes. And he says, you know that this is not going to work out. And he was, he was a very smart man. Very intelligent. He looks at me and with, with authority. You know when you're sitting before somebody who carries authority? Like Michael. And that person tells you, this is not going to work out. And I'm looking at him. I'm afraid. There's a lot of emotions inside of me. And I'm saying, I'm willing to try out. I was young. I was 20, 23. And so here's the thing that helped me. It's a choice again. I chose to love him. I chose, I extended the love of God that God gave me. And I remember when I became a Christian, 16 years old, one of my first prayers I prayed, Lord, help me to love like you. Mm. Very simple, I promise you. I said, Lord, if you show me how to love like you, I will love like you. And the Lord, I, I believe this is the way that can, we can truly love because our love is not enough. It's just a shadow of, of the true God's love. And in God's love, there's power. It's power. There's power in God's love. And so I extended my love towards him, the, the love that God gave me, and I kept loving him. And you know what, that, what happened then? He became my advocate. Wow. 
He became the one that fights for me. It's beautiful. He became, right, Veronica? <laughs> he loved me so much that he would, like, he would go against everyone else. And he's like, no, you're all wrong because I know this man. <laughs> it felt so good. It did. It did. Isn't that beautiful? It did. So God, God we can overcome. There's hope. We can overcome. We can overcome hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness. And let me tell you, you don't have right to keep it. You don't have the Say right to again. keep it. You don't have the right to keep it. Swim, uh, the, the fish swim, we, we have that saying, I heard fish it. Fish swim, ducks swim. Yeah. Christians give, and I would add, Christians forgive. Amen. Christians forgive. This is the, this is the, this is the foundation of who you are. This is foundation of who we are. We forgive. We let go. This is how we overcome. There's no... If you stay in that place, you're partnering with somebody. And that somebody wants to take you out. I promise mm -hmm. you. He wants to take you out. He wants to defile you. He wants to take you out of the plains mm -hmm. of God. So we can, we can figure out the ways how, of how the, that one works. And we can overcome we can go on, on the side of the Lord and He can help us, right? Refusing to take God's place. Refusing. We cannot take God's place. And then keeping His perspective. Which keeping His perspective. Asking Him for help. Uh, I want to... Share those things. I want to... So one of the stories, Michael, I wanted to uh, share uh, is about... Uh, I think everyone knows here in the room about Corey Ten Boom and Hiding Place. And uh, this story, it's a true story. Uh, that happened in the Second World War, uh, Corrie Ten Boom and her family, uh, they were actually hiding Jews, Israelites, in the Second World War. And because of that, basically at one point, they caught the whole, whole family, the Nazis, and they put them in a concentration camp. And because of that, uh, uh, Corrie Ten Boom's sister and her father died. And she is the one that was, that was the only survivor. After that, she goes basically with her story of forgiveness and uh, uh, what she went through in a concentration camp, she shared with, share, shares with everyone. Like in 60 different nations, she traveled and shared this story. And then there's, there's this momentum when God brings her back. There's something about even God bringing us back to the biggest pain. Mm. And He wants to come in that pain mm. and release freedom. He likes to revisit the biggest pain. He likes to come to the, uh, to that like, like the, the, the point, that main point, and come in that place and say, "I release you. I give you freedom." So this is what ha happened to Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, she comes to Germany and she starts sharing about uh, forgiveness. And there's this guy that comes to her after the the conversation, after the, her story, and she, and he says. That was a really nice story. And I, I, I really liked what you shared. And uh, you know, uh, I was one of the guys that was in the concentration camp. And she says basically, she said, I remembered him. She remembered him. After all those years, she remembers the guy. Mm. And uh, he says, you know, I became Christian. Mm. I accepted the Lord. And he extends her his hand to her 
And he says, would you forgive me? I always wanted for somebody to forgive me that actually was in the camp, mm. in the concentration camp. I need forgiveness. And he extends his hand towards her. And can you imagine? Can you imagine this? Like we cannot even imagine this pain and everything. And God brings her to this culmination. And uh, now she's facing all these emotions, everything that she has been preaching and talking. Will she forgive? Will she extend her hand? Mm -hmm. And this is the point. She, she was, she's like, oh, he was the one that killed my sister, my father. Because of him, I lost my family. Because of this, I went through all this pain. And in that moment, she asked, Lord, help me to forgive. Lord, help me to forgive. And this is, this is what, what, what happened. I want to read this, um, uh, if I can find it. Um, so she says, I woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one that was stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and then this healing warmth mm. seemed to flood my whole being, mm. bringing tears to my eyes. And she says, I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. Mm. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. This is it. Why am I reading this? Because we need the, the, the forgiveness. We need to understand the forgiveness of the Lord. We need, to for, we need to understand what He has forgiven to us. We have to receive the forgiveness from the Father. And then with His power, with His grace, because it's His gift, we can come under that power and ask, Lord, would you help me to forgive? Mm. Would you help me to forgive? Mm. Because we need help. It is not easy. I want, I want to say that it is not easy. Mm. But with God's help, He can do it. Possible. Mm. The Holy Spirit loves to bring healing. Man. Well, I know I speak for everyone in the room. We are so grateful for you. Yeah. And, uh, and Veronica, just your heart. It's true, bro. We love you. So thankful for you. Thank you. What a testimony. And Veronica.